Abram. Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. There's another theophany. God appears to people and said to him, I am God Almighty. Now, this is literally El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. He said, this is what I'm asking of you. What God asked of Abram. That, this is purpose. I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So, brothers and sisters, we we always think that, well, you know, God's promises are yes and amen. Yes, that's true. But they're also lifestyle. There's also lifestyle requirements. You have to live right if you want the promises of God. Then Abram fell on his face. (laughs) You know, when people tell me that God appeared to them, one of the questions I ask people is, and what did you do? Well, you know, Pastor, I, I stood there and just had a conversation with God. And you know what? In my heart, I think, I'm not sure that was real. Maybe you ate too much balut. Now, I don't, I don't put people down. But I also know that when God appears to you, all through the scripture, people fell, they fell down. Okay, I mean, he fell on his face. When you really see God, your first inclination is to fall on the ground before him. Maybe maybe that reality needs to seep into our hearts a little bit more. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. I like that. The covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations, not just Israel. Now, people often forget this. You should be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Now, notice I will make you. Now, there's an important thing to understand. Oops. I will make you. This is God made, not man made. Now, now brothers and sisters, please, in this world that we live in today, everybody wants to self-develop. Everybody wants to make themselves into what they want to be. One of the things you have to learn as a believer is that God has a destiny. God has a purpose for you. And you're going to find your happiness and you're going to find your fulfillment being what God wants to make you. Not not what marketing makes you, not what people make you, but what God makes you. I will make you. This, this is not a man on a an ego-driven thing. This is what I'm going to do. You know, there, there are some people that got such a, a, an ego and they're so arrogant. I'm going to do this and I'm going to be that. That wasn't so with Abram. I will make you. Abram was not an ego-driven man. Abram was a God-made man. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And then notice again, I will make you into nations and kings will come from you. 
not just one, multiple kings. And I will establish. Now, I want you just to begin to notice some I wills here, okay? I will, I will, I will. These are things God says he's going to do. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you and to your offspring. These are the next generations. So Abraham received a promise that was multi-generational. Multi-generational. I will give it to you and to your offspring after you, the land. Okay, so here's the promise of the land, of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, now notice there is a promise of land, and there's a promise of relationship. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout the generation. So here is, it's two-sided. Every promise has two sides. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Here's the sign of the covenant. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now notice, um, I want to say this delicately. This was not a open sign. This was something very private, and this is something that others couldn't look at. I mean, people don't go around and look at your foreskin. I mean, please, I'm trying to say this politely. But, you know, sometimes today we want... We want a sign of a covenant to be something flashy so that everyone can see. And uh, the covenant that God made with Abram and the sign of the covenant was something very private that others could not see. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring. Both he is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay, so God says, this sign has to be there. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. Oh, Moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. <laughs> Same blessing on the wife. Remember, you're one flesh. See, now, now you got to get a hold of this. Abraham didn't understand that. That's why the whole mistake with Hagar and Ishmael occurred. God wanted to bless Sarah. This was one flesh with Abram. I will bless her. Same promise he made. Look at this. Same exact promise that he made to Abram, he now makes to her. Okay? He said, listen. Take it up here, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 16. Now, 
the same thing he said to, to Abram, he now says to Sarah. One flesh. Guys, don't ever think that your wife is irrelevant in the promises of God in your life. She's one flesh with you. <laughs> and ladies, don't ever think that your husband is irrelevant in the promises of God to you. He's one flesh with you. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. All right, here's, here's man's idea. And man's idea is born in human logic. Not faith. But God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, and behold, I have, I have blessed him. Notice, I have. This is past tense. And I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. Notice, one nation. Okay? But notice, 12. How many uh, of the patriarchs? How many children did Jacob have? 12. Interesting thought. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he finished talking with him, God went up. So the theophany ends, okay? This is a very long theophany. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of the foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. So we have immediate obedience. Get my pen to work. Immediate obedience. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in his house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks at Mamre. All right, here is another theophany. Theophany is a big fancy word that just means a physical appearance, a physical manifestation of the presence of God. As he sat in the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and behold, and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Now notice, the Lord is one of these. There's three men. God is one of them. And really, in actuality, we're talking about a manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus was one of these. And said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. And after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. 
And Abraham went quickly into the tent with Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran, now notice, went quickly, ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Now notice, quick. He is in a rush to serve. Now, you need to think about that a little bit. He, he did not serve God with a lazy spirit. He rushed to serve God. And he's an old man. And he rushed to serve God. Then he took curds and milk and a calf that had been prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the oak tree while they ate, not him. He was only there to serve. Wow. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice here. First of all, the rush to serve. There was no laziness in his service. Secondly, he was not there to eat with them. He was only there to serve them. He, he understood this is God. And thirdly, I want you to notice the graciousness of God. <laughs> God sat down and waited with a couple of angels. He sat there and waited. Now, please, I know they did this quickly, but it takes time to knead flour and make cakes. It takes time to slaughter a calf and cook it. It takes time to make curds. It takes time to do these things. So we're talking several hours. I mean, to cook a calf, that's going to take a few hours to kill and clean and cook a calf. You're looking at a few hours. And the Lord was so gracious that he sat there and waited. <laughs> you know, when we get to heaven, I think we're all going to be surprised how infinitely nice God is. Then he took curds and milk that he had prepared, set them before them, and they stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in a tent. And the Lord said, I will return to you this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abram and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of the woman had ceased with Sarah. All right, so there's no more monthly. I'll say this all politely and delicately. In other words, she's not ovulating. She's not producing eggs anymore. She's no longer fertile. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out, my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? And, Abraham, and the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Okay, so we don't have much faith. Not much faith, but God still did the miracle. <laughs> Again, God is a lot nicer than we think he is. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. Or she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> so God does not back up. God does not back up from truth. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And when Abram went to them and sent them on their way, 
The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Shall I hide from Abraham? He said, Hey, should, should I should I not tell Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abram will surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. We're part of that blessing today, the new covenant, salvation that came through Jesus. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after them to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Now, I want you just to notice something, parents. Abraham was chosen that he might command his children and his household to follow God and to do righteousness. Now, parents, please, I mean, straight talk, parents. If you tolerate your children's sin, just trying to hang on to your kids, all that's going to do in the future is bring more grief. You know, sometimes I sit down with parents and they say, but pastor, if I, if I don't let him have his girlfriend sleeping in the house overnight, you know, then, then he'll leave home and I don't want him to leave home. Well, then maybe he should leave home. You know, it's your house. God holds you responsible for it. Are you commanding your children to follow, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness? Or are you tolerating your children like Eli did? Now, let me make you a promise. If you tolerate your children, now, you know, Eli would bark at his kids. He would yell at his kids, but he would not stop them from their sin. And because he would not stop them from their sin, the anointing lifted off of his family for the rest of eternity. And his kids never got better. Okay, his kids only got worse and hurt more people. Parents, at some point, you've got to make sure that you don't just yell at your kids for doing wrong. You command. You, you stop the sin in your house. Now, you say, well, pastor, what happens if they leave home? Then they leave home. And maybe like the prodigal, they'll get out there into a pig pen and they'll come to their senses. But if you want the promises of God upon your family, and please, I've seen so many families in my life. I've seen families that they commanded and they, made, they would not tolerate it and their children were a mess and they left. And I've seen the kids now come back over the generations and I've seen the kids serving God. And I've watched families who tried to cover it all up and hide things and spiritualize things and just try to keep the family together and let the kids just live the way they want to and do it all in their home. They were complicit. And you know what? Those kids turn out really, really bad. At some point, you have to realize as a family, moms and dads, you command your children and your household to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness. Then the Lord said, because the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. But if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Uh, he's in shock. He has only seen the goodness. He's only seen the goodness of God. He, he, he's never seen the wrath of God before. This is something brand new to him. Then Abram drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now again, he's, he's hearing about Sodom and Gomorrah. 
he knows that Lot is there. He's risked his life to save his nephew. He's loved his nephew. Will, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep away that place and not spare the 50 righteous that are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be it that from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Sometimes you wonder, why does God spare a city? Why does God spare a nation? You know, I, I hear so many people preaching hellfire, brimstone, and judgment these days. You know, God must judge this, and God must judge this country, and God must judge. But folks, he hasn't changed. He said, if there's 50 righteous in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. This is God. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I whom but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find there forty-five. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry as I speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not do it. I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abram. And Abraham returned to his place. Uh, this is not intercession. This is not intercession. This is a cry to understand God. This is his first encounter with the judgment of God. All Abram has ever known is the goodness of God. And he's struggling with this. I mean, he's got his nephew down there in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's struggling with this. He, he knows how horrible it is down there. He knows how sinful it is down there, but he, he's struggling with this thing. And when he realizes, okay, if there's just one good family down there, God is so merciful and God is so gracious. Surely that, that there's at least 10. Now, brothers and sisters, this is not intercession as we understand intercession. This is the desperate cry of a man's heart to understand the judgment of God a man who has only known the goodness of God. And sometimes today we find ourselves in the same place, Diba. As Christians, we, we've not been appointed under wrath. As Christians, we, we, we struggle with the, the judgment of God because we are the objects of his mercy. And all we've ever known from God is mercy and grace because that's, that's part of the new covenant that we have. Jesus took the punishment of our sins. Now, this, this is why as Christians we have a hard time getting a hold of some of these passages in the Old Testament. Brothers and sisters, never forget, even when you read all the passages on judgment, 
God is good and his mercy endures forever. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up with Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. When it came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Now notice, great crowds. That's something you're going to see in the early days of the ministry of Jesus. Remember, Jesus went from popularity to <laughs> crucifixion, all right? And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can. If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a proof for a proof to them. Now, a proof of what? <laughs> Not just a proof of healing. a proof of healing, and a proof of Jesus' ministry. This is a multiple proof. Have you ever noticed later on great numbers of the priests got born again? This is why they got born again. These were, you just wonder how often this happened. You wonder how often a guy would walk into the temple courts and bring his offering for the cleansing of leprosy. And the priest would inspect him and declare him clean. And the priest would say, how did this happen? I met a name, man named Jesus of Nazareth. You wonder how many times every day those priests heard that story. <laughs> oh, signs and wonders. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him. Now, remember, a centurion is a Roman Ah, you're right, and it erases. A Roman commander of 100. Century 100. Came forward appealing to him. So notice he comes into the city of Capernaum. We go there every year on our Israel tour. And this Roman centurion, and this would be a very powerful man. He, he had 100 soldiers under him appealing to him. Lord my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, I want you to notice, a centurion is not a Jew. A centurion is a Gentile, probably from Italy, but maybe from one of the other you know, parts of the world that Rome had conquered. We don't know. We just know that this man had been promoted through the ranks, and now he's over 100 men. And he's not a Jew. And Jesus didn't look at him and say, ah, I don't want anything to do with you. You're part of the Roman occupying army. I, I, I want you to notice there's no prejudice in Jesus. No prejudice in Jesus. Je Jesus didn't look at people and say, you're a centurion. I don't want anything to do with you. Jesus didn't do that. <laughs> when we get to heaven, no matter how much we've studied him, no matter how much time we spent in prayer, I'm not sure we are ready for how wonderful he is. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say, go, and he goes, and another one come, and he comes. And to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, 
he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So this is faith. This is faith. What is faith? Faith is recognizing authority. That's all faith is. A simple recognition of authority. That Jesus has the authority to do what he says. The centurion said, you know, I have authority. I tell people to do something, they obey. And I also am a man under authority. See, faith is all about authority. Rebels have no faith. People whose hearts are in rebellion, this was a man, he said, I'm a man under authority. People who understand and who are submissive to authority in their life, these are people who have revelations of faith. People who are always fighting with governments and fighting with this and fighting with that, and people who just have a heart full of rebellion, they, they have no faith. Everything about faith is a recognition and submission to authority. Let me say that again. Everything about faith is a recognition and submission to authority. I tell you, and, and young people, straight up, you know, if, if you live in rebellion with your parents, don't tell me that you have faith. <laughs> you want to see miracles? Miracles flow to people who understand authority. That's faith. I tell you, many will come from the East and West and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, it will be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Not when the centurion got home, at that moment. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Okay, so he entered the house and he saw Jesus had eyes to see. Some people can't see need. Some people are so arrogant and so consumed with their self, they can just walk by everybody else's need. Jesus had eyes to see. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she arose and began to serve him. So we are healed to serve. I like that. But, you know, this is just a little thing. It's not a big thing. I mean, she's not dying of something. But Jesus healed the little things. That evening, now why evening? This is after Sabbath. Sabbath ends at sundown. Now people can travel. At evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. All right, so there's, there's healing, and there's also deliverance, okay? And he cast out the spirits with the word. He didn't have conversations with them. He didn't argue with them. He didn't fight with them. He didn't massage their shoulders. He didn't rub their bellies. You know, he cast them out with a word. 
Now, when you want to cast out demons, just look at how Jesus did. In the name of Jesus, leave now. That's how you cast out a demon. Okay. You, you, don't, you don't massage their shoulders or rub their bellies or rub their heads or, or pull on their arms or, you know, what. You cast them out with a word. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, when Jesus saw the crowd around them, he gave orders to go to the other side. Because remember, they're on the Sea of Galilee. They're up here in Capernaum. And they're going to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. <laughs> and Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So leave the spiritually dead to bury their own physically dead. That's the best way to understand that passage, all right? But now I want you to notice, here is excited, but no staying power. Okay? Here is desire with no priority. Other things are of a higher priority. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, you make a decision to follow Jesus expecting nothing, and he is the absolute priority. All right, one more little passage today. We always want to close with a little bit of wisdom. So let's pull up Proverbs here. Proverbs chapter 2, beginning with verse 9. Now, the passage before this is God giving us wisdom. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, equity, and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart. All right, so let's just open it all the way up. Then, so righteousness, justice, equity, every good path. So four things. So you understand righteousness. Come on, pen work, please. You understand righteousness, you understand justice, you understand fairness, and you understand good ways. Good ways, good decisions. So you understand four things by wisdom. So these things come from wisdom. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Now, did you see that? Knowledge, learning facts. When, when wisdom fills you, knowledge is pleasant. When there's no wisdom in your heart, facts are a burden. You don't want to deal with the facts. Don't bother me with the facts. You know, there, there are many people that have been so led by emotions for so long that when you start to talk to them about facts, like the Bible says, you know, every man seems right till another stands up to speak. And sometimes, you know, you've heard this, 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 and this. And then all of a sudden somebody says, well, you know, did you know that this, 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 and this? And, oh, the facts are not pleasant. It's because you're having a problem with wisdom in your heart. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. All right. So what protects? 
Discretion protects you. Having discretion in life, learning when to shut your mouth, learning when not to go places, discretion, having a little discretion in relationships. It's a protection and understanding is a protection. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. Now, notice discretion and understanding would deliver you not just from sin. It would deliver you from people with perverted speech. They, they use words to pervert justice. They use words to pervert right and wrong. And they're very, very persuasive. Discretion and understanding will protect you against these people who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Now, you know, these are the people that you need to stay away from. These are people These are people to stay away from. And the things that keep you is discretion and understanding. So maybe let's let's highlight those a little bit more. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. These are people to stay away from, brothers and sisters. Yeah, you look at that and you go, wow, yeah, not, not everybody who, who talks right is right. <laughs> Let me say that one more time. Not everybody who talks right is right. Sometimes they're devious. Their paths are crooked. They delight in the perverseness of evil. They rejoice in doing evil. They walk in paths of darkness. They've forsaken the paths of righteousness. But their speech... Their speech is perverted. It, it makes things look right that are right. It makes things look wrong that are right. Ah. Discretion and understanding will keep you away from people like that. 